so much. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, um, when I uh, received this uh, text from uh, Mark, uh, I was kind of uh, surprised and shocked because this is one of the texts that most preachers avoid to preach from. And, you know, usually preachers have, a, a, especially just preachers, have a, a freedom to recycle their uh, preaching note <laughs> from the past. Preacher, right? and I actually never preached from this passage, so it was really has been challenging to prepare, but it's always also been um, eye-opening, uh, uh, yeah, a process for me. So I'm really excited to share uh, the word with you, and um, yeah, uh, let's pray. Uh, let's pray together again uh, to uh, so that God will open our hearts and minds and our ears and eyes. Father, we thank you for this truth that we are about to learn. Lord, uh, we need to know this because you promised something so important that will even affect our life right now. So Lord, if anyone is actually even struggling uh, with facing the death of our loved ones, or even maybe we're challenged um, to think about uh, closely, maybe we are uh, avoiding this topic, Lord, but I pray that you will help us to understand your truth so that we can live according to your will. Um, so, Lord, help us to open our hearts and ears and our minds, Lord, so that we can uh, not just uh, understand your word, but experience the gospel once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My title for this message is Our Hope in Jesus' Death. And resurrection. And obviously, as you read this scripture, uh, the topic is really about death uh, of our physical body and our future. And here's already a challenge for us because some of us don't want to even think about such a negative thing, right? It's something somewhere uh, far distance in the future. And you want to avoid that topic. You know, you, we want to keep our life positive, right? And I'm, I have that temptation to live like that. I'm, I, my mom used to call me, my head is, we have ex expression in Japanese. My head, uh, the, uh, he, she used to tell me that my head is always the sun shining, which means I'm a hyper positive thinker. Uh, I don't want to think negatively. But some of us maybe. Uh, when we think of our death uh, and all these things, it's just so depressing because we tend to be very pessimistic about our life. Or maybe uh, we are actually facing these issues right now. You know, I'm 46 and then a lot of my friends are around me. Uh, their health is going down. Uh, uh, their parents, um, you know, uh, passing, living this life. So it's something that I think for all of us is quite important, especially if you are older age. Um, and you can feel this tension already. Some of us want to avoid it. Some of us are actually suffering from it. And either way, we can kind of fall into both extremes because Bible clearly teaches us to know these things about. Actually, Paul is picking up uh, something that uh, this topic that he's been already uh, hinting in chapter 1 to 3. three uh, he's mentioning three times. And uh, the reality in this context that he could not actually teach the church here uh, because he had to leave quickly, uh, forced to leave quickly, uh, which was mentioned in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. Also, if you go to Acts 17, you will know the situation here. 
So Paul, not finishing the teaching, uh, some of the church members are suffering from experiencing their loved ones dying. Uh, they didn't know what to do with it because just they are uninform- uninformed about this truth. So here's already a challenge. By not knowing something about our future, especially life after death, will really affect us. How we live, how we face our difficulty in our lives, not just the death, any loss of our lives. So uh, this is topic for everyone, not just for us uh, who are uh, experiencing this, but it's actually for everyone. So I would like to cover three uh, points here today uh, through this topic. First point, I'm going to talk about facing the reality of death and our future. Uh, Second point, um, we're gonna, I'm going to cover on, a t- uh, on the topic of hope we have in Christ. And third, uh, as Paul encouraging us to do in verse 18, how we can encourage one another through this truth. So, have you ever asked yourself why we are afraid of death? If we know that we will go to heaven, especially for us Christians, we understand for non-Christian or unbelievers, uh, not knowing death is such a scary thing, right? But even for us Christians, death is obviously not a nice thing. As I mentioned, my daughter is um, 18, 19, and going, going through all sorts of challenges in their life. And one of them is really dealing with their faith. Um, one of them is really questioning actually not really according to live, uh, according to um, uh, the standard of Christian life, which I've been, I thought I've taught well, (laughs) um, even though I made mistakes in a lot of areas, and it was disappointing. And at the same time, I understand that, because I, you know, when I think of my teenage life, uh, especially 19, 18, all I thought about uh, about was, uh, you know, uh, girls and maybe anime, manga, uh, all these things. Of course, I wasn't a Christian. Uh, so compared to my teenage life, they are still stable. <laughs> and But biggest thing that worries me is about their future, whether they stay as a Christian and whether if I see them in heaven or not. That's all that matters. I don't really care how I really how they live their life in the as long as they walk with God, even they fail, they make mistakes. Um, I don't really care so much of that. But in the end, that's I want to see them. I want to spend eternity with them. So one person um, uh, described the fear of death like this. is that It's not that we fear that death is the end of it. But it's not that we fear that uh, there's no life after death or not. It's actually we f- fear death because there's a life after death. And we don't know anything about it. We don't know how it will look like. We, know, we, we don't know how, whether we see our loved ones or not. And that was actually the ch- uh, this uh, Thessalonians uh, church member's problem. They didn't know about it. Uh, they are uh, clear in this uh, t- context of this chapter 4 that they, they are one of the strengths of this church was actually they are very strong in loving each other. 
right? Uh, verse 9 to 10, uh, Paul even praises them that you're already doing this. So it was not uh, uh, the problem of, you know, loving and a life here, but it was really not knowing uh, uh, what's going to happen. And here Paul advises, and the first thing he advises uh, uh, in verse 13, uh, he's not saying that we should not grieve at all. But he's at, uh, uh, instructing us not to grieve without hope, like some of the people doing. So here is already a tension. Yes, we can grieve, but in the right way. It's not avoiding a grief or, or sadness or uh, losing into it. But here's a, a gospel balance that uh, Paul is trying to teach us. But how do we actually go one or the other uh, in our life? Um, Tim Keller uh, describes one of the problems um, this way. He says, uh, traditionally, uh, in our culture, uh, even in Japan, especially in Asia, probably, or even maybe in a Western culture too, we use this thing called stoicism. You know, uh, stoicism is like a basic, basically uh, uh, being tough, right? So uh, things like in Japan, uh, we say this, I'm, I'm not sure if it is uh, culturally or politically correct, but you're a man, don't cry. Suck it up and just go through it, right? And stoicism towards death, maybe it goes like this. Hey, we know death will come anyway. And everybody will experience it. And we cannot avoid it. So just face it. Toughen up, guys. Stop crying. And deal with it. But, you know, <laughs> this would not help us. Still, there's a reality that we will lose loved ones. We will lose things in life, and still we worry about it. So that's a more traditional approach, but there's more than way of approach. Um, is we, uh, it goes like this. It's more like a naturalist thinking, like, like that, okay, death, yes, it will come, but it's not really a bad thing. You know, because we are part of this kind of cycle of life, that, you know, when we, our body, when decay and disease, it will go back to uh, nature. So, uh, when that happens, it, it will help actually the earth. <laughs> you know, we become a soil, part of a soil, and it, it becomes a nutrient, a nutrient to the trees and the, the world. Okay, it's a nice thinking. And it, it, yes, scientifically, it's true. But there's a story uh, that Tim Keller was uh, uh, sharing that uh, there was one boy, uh, uh, one of his friends died in the neighbor. So the mother, and knowing this kind of fact, uh, she shared uh, that reality that uh, when we die, you know, everybody goes, uh, experience death. And, but when we die, we, this will happen to our body. But her son panicked and screamed and said, uh, basically replied like this, I don't want to be a fertilizer. And it stormed off. But, that, but that's the actual reality. We, we just want to end that, you know. <laughs> A soil, uh, you know. Again, our probably biggest fear, whether you know, to lose our people that who left, spend time on this earth, and here's something that we need to 
remind us that in the, the Christian hope that we have as a Christian is that God promises that we will, we will live forever with our loved ones. So the question is, how does that hope, the right balance of neither ignoring the reality or thinking kind of hyper-positive, and I, I guess that's, I guess it's a, or both ways it's kind of escaping the reality, but how is the right response towards death look like? And I be, believe best example is Jesus himself. And uh, when we go to uh, John chapter 11, there's an a event that Lazarus, his loved one, died. And here's a very interesting way that Jesus was handling this reality. Uh, so Jesus comes late, intentionally, and he even says to Mary and Martha that he's just asleep, he's just sleeping. So Paul intentionally uses the same word. And, and he even declares that, he will, uh, that Lazarus will come back to life again. Right? But after he was declaring this truth, the fact that what will happen, he still wept. At John chapter 11, verse 35. Isn't that interesting? Because, I mean, he just didn't say, like, oh, yeah, he will come back to life. So don't worry about it. Stop crying. He didn't do that kind of approach. He still himself cried. And not just cried, wept. Why? So, obviously, he was grieving some of the reality. And rightly so, because after that, he was, uh, in English translation, he was um, moved. He says he was moved by when he saw uh, Mary crying. But actual word there is more like uh, anger, indignant. He was actually the fact that, uh, angry at the fact that Lazarus experienced the death. And then Mary and Martha were crying. So he didn't ignore the reality of death because Bible describes death as the biggest enemy. The last enemy that we need to destroy or overcome. So death is something that is so real and it's not a natural thing. Death is actually not natural. Losing loved ones is not natural. That's how Bible describes our life. Death came only after uh, our, uh, our fallenness, uh, Adam and Eve sinned. So death is obviously not a natural thing. And we need to, in a sense, react hard like Jesus did. Angry, seeing it as an enemy. Something to, in a sense, fight against. And obviously we don't have a power to defeat that. So, but at the same time, he just didn't just wet uh, or cry and get angry about it, but he actually went on facing death, facing a tomb. Even Lazarus' dead body was gone, even smelly. He declared the truth, and he overcame. Right? So here's a, I think he's a perfect balance of, yes, we need to grieve. Death is real, but at the same time, we need to, in a sense, not just a stoicism, but no, we need to face it, we need to overcome, and we need to deal with it. So, 
here's, here's a ch- first challenge for us. How's your response towards your future and death, especially? Do you want to just keep it under the radar and want to deal with it? I have this problem, as I shared. Uh, my often tells me, why don't you share your struggle and sorrows? Why can't you not be honest about it? So what I do is I just suppress those feelings. And then when it is sorted, then I share with my wife. But my wife's response is also, I think, why didn't you tell me earlier? Maybe some of you have a similar problem, especially if you're guys. You know? And I thought about it. Why do I do this? And you know, the, the, the reason I do this is, is that, first of all, I fear rejection. If I share this, my honest feeling, would they reject me? Or would I even lose my authority? You know, I have a strong dad, a strong leader. You know, in a sense, I fear those people rejecting me and leaving me. Even, you know, sharing this, my honest feeling with, with my church. It's kind of fearful, challenging thing. Or maybe some of you are opposite, just completely lost into it. Don't know how to deal with it. Losing a hope. So here, our first challenge is to respond towards our future and death in a gospel manner. Balanced. Neither escape or being just a stoic. So the second point I want to talk about, then how do we do this? How does Paul instruct Thessalonians to do with it? Verse 14, he says this, For since we have that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So he, he puts it really simply this, right? Our hope is that Jesus died and rose again. That's it. All right, thank you, Paul. Can you give me more explanation? Of course, he goes on explaining in chapter 5. But what does that mean? What does that mean? So here's a few reality of our hope. First of all, you know, in the world, we say there's no one who came back from death. Right? That's why we don't know. There's no evidence. Well, for, for us Christians, here's evidence. There's a, a one person who came back from death. Jesus is the evidence of someone returned from death and alive forever. Okay? So even scientifically, uh, there's a lot, uh, you know, a lot of these people who are against Jesus' resurrection, unable to unprove those things, right? Uh, so here's really strong evidence. Here's uh, evidence, not only that, but Jesus is the real evidence of uh, what happens to us after death. Well, he had a real body. He was eating. He was talking, having conversation, fellowshipping with uh, his brothers who he loved. So here, Jesus is just living with his friends eating, sharing, having fun. So our hope, again, you know, it's not just like, a, okay, completely escaping into uh, the angels with the wings somewhere up in the cloud. I used to have a misunderstanding about heaven, right? That we were just forever spending some floating in, in, in a, at a cloudy couch, you know, spending time with angels. And I thought, how boring is that? Right? I want to play PlayStation 5 in heaven. Maybe PlayStation Infinity or whatever. 
the best game. <laughs> I want to enjoy music. I want to enjoy art there. And, and it is true. We will enjoy the culture there because every nation, every tribe, there will be a work. I'm sorry if you don't like work, but in heaven we will enjoy work without any toil or suffering. We will be, end up using what we learn here on earth. Why? Because there was already work in a perfect Eden before death comes in, and God wants to restore that. So here, the evidence of how we should be, right? And even I think Jesus was like, a, 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 um, he didn't need any blood train to transfer, you know, <laughs> go somewhere. He just got vanished and appeared in another place. So it could be even the case. I don't know I, theologically if this is completely correct, but here's, uh, in a sense, evidence how Jesus traveled. I want to go to Switzerland, beautiful mountain, right? And, you know, you don't have to take, you know, 13 hours flight, <laughs> How amazing is that? I can see you in Australia, in New Australia, uh, or, or enjoy the beach. You know, so there's more uh, actually evidence, actual uh, evidence. And uh, here's another thing. Jesus is the actually only champion and true warrior that can actually defeat. I mean, he already defeated and overcame death. And Interesting, here's a, a, a kind of war or battle languages. You can see, especially in the verse 16, uh, there's a language of command, trumpet. Uh, trumpet is actually the, uh, uh, the sign, you know, when there was a war, uh, uh, the, the trumpet sound, and then the, the whole army moved. Archangel. Archangel is the, um, uh, uh, as it is, you know, the named Ark. They were the, the guardians of the Ark. And often uh, when you... Um, read the story of David. It's related to, to um, all these battle scenes with Joshua the same. Um, obviously, this language is referring to a Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 11 to 16, where the scene that Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, a cry of command as a warrior. And after, in the same chapter, they describe about really that Jesus and a white horse with a blazing eyes, with a sword, saying, King of kings, Lord of lords, in his uh, uh, robes. So obviously, this, 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 uh, this scripture is describing Jesus as a warrior. Okay, so here's a hope that we have in Christ. We cannot defeat, we cannot defeat death. We have no chance against it. So again, stoicism is crazy because, hey, be strong, right? You're trying to be strong, but you're being beaten all the time. How silly is that, right? But in Christian, we have a hope. We have a warrior that can fight against the biggest enemy that we need to face. So if we know this truth, we should be able to have this balanced attitude toward this because... Yes, we have to fight, but together with our champion, that's strong enough. Right? We can rely on, we can be, uh, um, yeah, we can be actually trusting him without losing complete hope. So we can face reality, a pain of suffering uh, and a reality of death. At the same time, we can have a hyper, in a sense, really positive. Because we're going to win anyway. 
it's almost even when uh, Paul mentioned in Corinthians, um, always your sting or death. He's mocking almost death. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, you used to be so strong whenever you cannot do anything with us, right? Towards us. So that's a, a Christian attitude. And here's most importantly, Paul is again helping us to see that we will see the loved ones again. Now, verse 15 says this, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not uh, uh, precise, uh, proceed those who have fallen asleep. Um, here, um, how can I say this? A um, lot of people struggle interpreting this part of scripture uh even later on this talking about uh, going to the cloud uh meeting them in the sky and many of them many of uh, theologians trans um interpret this as you know how, how do you call this in english uh, rapture uh they use this scripture to uh, bring the concept of rapture but actually this scripture is talking about again um uh, this word meet is the language of this kind of battle, war language. Um, it's more of the nuance of when king comes back from the victory and the people in town goes out to meet the king into, uh, to celebrate together the victory. So not so much talking about here heaven, but more of joining together with those who fall, fall, fell asleep already and celebrating uh, the, uh, in the Lord's presence. So the, Paul is intentionally using this word cloud. It's not really talking about literal cloud, but more like a, we know in the Old Testament, cloud is actually represents uh, Lord's presence, presence of the Lord himself. So we are joining uh, in the second coming of Jesus himself we join this victorious moment together. So that's the emphasis. So again, Paul is encouraging us, hey, you're going to see your loved ones again. You're not gonna, they're not going to miss out in this second coming. Actually, we will be the later ones. and They will actually see the Lord first. So Paul is really clearly displaying that hope, uh, the hope we have as a Christian. So, do we have this kind of hope right now? And is that affecting in a positive way, in the right way, how we face our struggles on this? And my challenge was this. You know, I really struggled. My, one of my daughter, uh, for this season of her life, falling away from faith. My struggle was not not be able to trust God, that he's got this. You know, so I reacted first. I mean, last year and, and, and while, while COVID is happening, right, my daughter was still in my house. And then we talk about these things a lot. So my fear comes out. And my first reaction is to control everything. I started to be, to be become too harsh towards my daughter. 
started to use Bible, and then she, the, even I did more. I do did this with my daughter. She hated it even more, and then that came out of forgetting the actual prom promise that I will see the loved ones again. And I, I'm not saying that my daughter will get saved suddenly. I don't know that. I have to trust God completely. But even whatever happens in heaven, I will not grieve because probably I will understand His right judgment. My hope is not in whether my daughter will become Christian or not. My hope is only in God, that He promised that I will not grieve in heaven, that I will spend time eternity with my loved ones. So I have to come to peace, actually, and I have to look at my own uh, heart, reality of my heart here right now. And it came actually from not trusting what happens in the future, as he promised. So how can we encourage one another? In verse uh, uh, 18, Paul said, encourage one another with those words. Um, so I'm going to, in the end, just talk about implications of this, uh, this reality, this truth and the fact we have in, in Christ. Um, I have a friend in a church. She loves to read a, a novels. Uh, she loves to watch movies. Um, but she cannot handle the thrill and halfway through or middle of the, uh, uh, the novel, right? So what she does is she opens the last chapter. I start reading first. Then she goes back in the beginning and start reading it. And I thought this is cheating. You know, uh, actually, I'm more a person that I want to really enjoy the process, right? But in a sense, that's what we have in Christ, right? It's almost like a, some of the thrill, some of the things, not knowing in our things in our life is overwhelming, right? It's just too much worry brings us. So God tells us in the end <laughs> already what's going to happen. And so it's almost like a cheating, for, <laughs> right? <laughs> Christians have this amazing uh, uh, righteous cheating that we know the end. So because we know the end, everything's going to be okay and happy. Now actually we enjoy the present moment, no matter what happens. So, here's a challenge. Are you really enjoying life? Okay, I'm not asking you to enjoy the death or suffering, but are you, are you kind of facing, without looking away, your pain? Are you enjoying those who are actually enjoying life also? So this actually enables us to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. In our church, there's a ministry called Grief Care. Somehow our church have a lot of people who experience the uh, uh, death of their loved ones. One of some heavy cases, for example, a few years ago, uh, uh, one, uh, one mom committed suicide and daughter just didn't understand 
Uh, even though she had a face, uh, her mom had a face, she just took her own life. Uh, she didn't know how to handle it. Uh, through this grief care, one of the things that they need to learn is to actually face the disappointment, the fear, and the loss. Not without, not, uh, without turning their face away, just actually going into actual pain with a hope. That was the first step for the healing, actual healing. And it take, took a while, of course. Actually, she had to look into her mom's detail of her life to understand what she was going through. But for a while, she couldn't do it. Why? Because afraid of outcome. Afraid of the end, whether she ended up in heaven or not. Just, she just couldn't face it first. But here's again, if we understand the hope in the gospel, hope in Jesus, it would give us eventually a strength to face it. So, how are we living here? Um, second implication is this. You know, uh, it kind of relates to this concept, but peace and hope that we can have here right now will never be found in our effort to figure out the future or happen. But more actually knowing the truth that not God has not just got our future secured, but actually He is keeping us right now secure. Right now. So He just didn't say, hey, future is okay, so goodbye. No, he's actually holding you right now in his promise. Uh, he's not letting you go. And this is another thing that, uh, that gave me hope with my daughter's situation. Um, it's not that I'm holding daughter tightly. It's about God holding my daughter tightly. And he's got a story for her worked out as he did for me. So that's the hope that I need to really, really place in his hand, not what I do, not what I face here right now, but really God kept me. And Paul put it this way um, in Philippians, that he said this, it's not that he walked out everything, that, that he's okay with it, uh, his uh, future, but he said the Christ took hold of me. So he put it this way. It's not that I grasped everything in this life that, that, that makes me okay, but actually the fact that Christ took hold of, me, hold of me. That's his hope. That's why he can run the race and finish it. And he talks about the cloud of all the saints and people looking at us, right? In the presence. So in that presence, I think it is a, a theologically related uh, in this idea that we are surrounded by all those people who passed away already. And we have in this, we share the same presence with the Lord already in this house, earth, and we're just running towards the end. So I just want to simply give you a hope this morning. Let's, let's remember that God has everything secured inheritance, our hope, our a future world, a future relationship even. And imagine that we would join the perfect love 
with, with our loved ones. And I forgot to say one thing here. This reality also helps us to learn to love one another right now. Because we tend to love people because they will make us happy, right? As long as you're making me happy, I love you. That kind of a, uh, is our natural approach. But imagine if we, don't, we, we, we understand that we're not going to lose, lose them in heaven. We're not going to lose their, their relationship ever. In, in a sense, we no longer have to up, uh, up be afraid of losing them here. Gives us, we can be actually relaxed about our relationship. And we can start finally live for their happiness. Because we're not going to be afraid of losing them. Right? Because our happiness and everything, our relationship is secured by God. That's why we can actually focus right now on this earth, what we are going through, uh, even the painful side of relationship without hiding, without running away, or being stoic about it. So I'm learning uh, to actually go uh, walk together with the people who go through suffering. I used to think, you know, as a positive thinking person, I said, why are you upset about this little thing? You know, why can't you not handle this easy? I mean, for me, seems to be easier, right? Um, why can't you handle this easy challenges or problem? But I had to learn to really be more sure uh, uh, sympathy, understand their pain and suffering. So actually, this hope that we have in Christ enables us to love people more and understand people more. So let's pray uh, uh, together. Uh, I know that you will do uh, your communion uh, after this. Uh, so through uh, taking communion, uh, so that we can really experience this truth once again uh, with a tasting, uh, with really uh, taking part of uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Let us pray.